This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Your Money on Business Radio. Hello and welcome. You're listening on Your Money, Series XM, Channel 132, Business Radio that's powered by the Wharton School. I'm Kent Smether is still joining you via Zoom, um, but we're going to begin live shows at some point. But in the meantime, you can also connect with me online by going to my website, which is simply kentonmoney.com. So I know you've seen the housing prices. I mean, they've been just going crazy in the last several months, single family rent price growth has uh, increased almost four times, at least the growth rate, reaching the highest level since at least January 2005, as certainly the strange for the for sale market continues to cause ripple effects for the rental space at all as well. So, I mean, we're going to talk about some of these things and outlook for prices for the next year with today's guest, who is Molly Basil, who is a principal economist in the office of the chief economist at CoreLogic. And she's responsible for analyzing and forecasting uh, housing and budget market trends. Uh, Welcome to the show, Molly. Thank you a lot, Kent. Thanks for that great introduction. And the index, you know, is certainly just released. I mean, you guys do a lot of these calculations and um, you released certainly material for May. I mean, so we're able to figure out what was happening at least during the first half of the year in terms of trends. Uh, why don't you give me some highlights? Um, yeah, thanks a lot, Ken. As you mentioned, um, our single family rent index, so we, we cover um, rent increases for the single family market. So that's um, houses and condos. Um, these are less listed on the multiple listing service. So those are different from what you might think of as high rises, multifamily properties. But as you mentioned, we've seen the highest increase in this index uh, this year since we started keeping track of uh, that number in 2005. Um, now, prior to the pandemic, rates were rising about 3% year to year. Um, summer last year, they dipped down to about a one and a half percent increase, but, um, as of May, 2021, rents were rising 6.6%. And that's on an annualized basis. That's annualized basis. And that's nationally. Right. And so certainly higher in some areas and kind of lower in other areas, but, um, let's first talk about some of the metro areas. I mean, so the index certainly in the, uh, highlights also some changes in the 20 metro areas. What were some of the kind of the big growth areas? Oh, we've seen the biggest growth in the Southwest. So Phoenix and Tucson, uh, they've been on the top of our list for increases um, for well over a year. Um, yeah. Phoenix increased 14% year to year in May um, and Tucson 11%. And that's on top of, like I mentioned, over a year of strong rent increases in those areas. But you think about, you know, there's been a lot of population increase in uh, Phoenix and Tucson and in Arizona in in general. So that that really has pushed rents up. Yeah, I mean, it, it, Phoenix is now the fastest growing city in the United States. I mean, it, at the same time, it doesn't have quite the strict zoning that you have in some other cities. Is it? Do you think you know eventually supply is going to work its way up, and it, we'll start to see some moderation in price uh, growth in Phoenix? Well, there's been some building in the um, single-family for rent uh, mm. 
area. So, um, and that's been mostly in the Phoenix area. So that could, that could, um, you know, cause some more supply to come in and ease rents a bit, but, but that building's been going on for well over a year. Sure. So, um, we're still seeing those increases. Yeah. Well, I mean, lots of reasons that people are moving there. So why do you think, you know, single family rental rates more nationally continue to increase at such a city phase? I mean, obviously it's interaction of demand and supply by, you know, what's, what is the big driver? Is it more kind of, you know, be loosey goosey about it, more supply driven here or more demand driven? What do you think is going on? Well, yeah, there's a lot going on in the housing market yeah. right now. Um, as you mentioned, it's affecting the poor sale market um, as you know, the um, record low mortgage rates, um, you know, add on top of that high demand for the for sale housing, um, very low inventory, home prices are up for for, for sale housing. That's pushed a lot of people in the, into the um, single family rental market as they can't find the, the type of property they want to buy. Um, right. During the pandemic, um, also rent preferences changed a lot. Um, mm-hmm. They uh, renters, uh, increasingly preferred more space and um, kind of less dense areas and less dense type of properties. So they moved out of high rises and out of cities and into single family houses. You know, think think single family houses in the suburbs. You know, there was a shift there. Um, and then work from home, school from home. Also, um, renters wanted a lot more space in their houses, so that that kept the um, increases in uh, the single kept single family in, uh, rents increasing. Um, even during the pandemic, uh, when we did see multifamily rents decrease. And, and then, are you so? Are you seeing a, a related kind of? In cities like New York, with lots of high rates and so forth, I, I mean, I guess there's still been some rate increases lately, but a uh, lot more muted. Or uh, where have you actually seen declines happening? In the single-family area, we've seen uh, rents decrease in Boston and in Chicago. They're still decreasing there. Um, most of last year, rents were decreasing, but you know that's. That was due to the complete shutdown of tourism in that area. So we've seen rents pick up there. But in Boston and Chicago, those rent decreases have really persisted. Um, Boston, uh, most likely um, combination of just very high rents in Boston. And then uh, the reliance on um, students, you know, university right. students, those renters, um, you know, not wanting to go back and pay, you know, close to $3,000 a month rent. <laughs> you know, um, so uh, rents in Boston down um, for most of the last year. Yeah. Um, Chicago, it's really been the uh, difference in what, you know, I'm going to talk about in a minute, the attached housing and the detached housing. Mm-hmm. Um, detached rentals are those that are freestanding, you know, so don't share any walls, think of a house. Um, the attached mm-hmm. are you know, condos, townhouses, um, duplexes, triplexes, you know, all of that. In Chicago, we've seen um, the detached rentals um, continuing to show increases about 6%, right. um, but uh, uh, the um, attached rentals showing decreases, really kind of driving down the rents in Chicago. Yeah, it consistent with what you were saying, uh, detached, probably more space, maybe a backyard, distance yourself and attached, probably a little bit more kind of cramped and so and so forth. Um, so let's talk about affordability concerns. You mentioned that a little bit. Uh, certainly at one time it was 
seemed to be super safe to be a homeowner in like Cambridge, Massachusetts, where you had strict zoning on the supply side and big student demand on the on the you know demand side. Um, but you know those those rents you know have obviously gone up a lot over the years. Uh, it's, but let's talk about then affordability constraints. I mean, is that we often see this where the housing prices drive up the rental rates. Obviously, there's subsidies, so we would expect that. Are, are we seeing that relationship even more pronounced uh, because of just sheer affordability constraints in the housing uh, side? Yeah, affordability constraints for the for sale housing have really um, pushed renter, uh, pushed uh, potential owners into the rental market. Um, and that's just as they've been priced out of the market or they just can't find a property they're looking for. Um, the inventory constraints have really been pronounced on the lower priced properties as well. Um, so, the, so that's had a big impact, um, especially think of the, the age structure of our population. We've got, right. um, you know, the millennials are in their prime buying years. You know, some of them are in their prime move up years, you know, for their second homes or their second purchase, not a second home, but right. um, they, uh, you know, they're not finding the the house they'd like. Um, you know, they're 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 just waiting on that and moving into um, single family rentals instead. Yeah, and one theory I heard about that was, you know, you, you usually have a normal amount of housing that is made available by people reaching retirement age, and then they kind of move to warmer climates. Whereas the last year, they were hesitant about you know doing that, just kind of keeping put for a while. Um, is is that part of the uh, dynamics here, and is that maybe some catch up? You could imagine if Phoenix is going through a hard time now, maybe maybe even a harder time as more and more people try to you know post COVID, or at least you know uh, post dramatic you know, fears about COVID um, move toward warmer climates? Um, yeah, I think, you know, there was just an unprecedented disruption in every in yeah. housing market last year. Um, you know, it's not just um, young buyer, young people looking for um, to purchase a home or to rent a home. You know, as you mentioned, you know, you have older buyers looking for their second homes. Um, yeah, just a complete disruption in um, everything going on. And, you know, when you think about the, the for sale market, um, mm. the, uh, you know, older buyers were kind of not participating in that last year, you know, as right. they were worried about um, letting people into their homes, um, you know, and that that's when we saw the, the huge demand by the, um, you know, the millennials. Right, right. And, and so then finally, since I have you here, I just got to, Ask you, you know, CoreLogic, obviously a premier data provider in the area of real estate. I mean, where do you see that housing market going, um, you know, over the, this next year or two? I imagine it's going to take a while for things to uh, kind of settle down a little bit, but at least in growth rates. I don't think we're ever going to contract too much in the levels of prices, but in terms of growth rates, uh, where do you see that happening or, you know, leveling off? to kind of more historic levels. Uh, we're talking about one, two years or even longer? Yeah, well, think about, um, you want to think of like, um, kind of like historical trends. So from about um, 2010 to, you know, 2020, you know, early 2020, home prices grew, you know, compound annual growth rate or around a little under 5%. Mm. 
Okay. So consider, so, you know, that we could call that a long-term trend in growth in um, price increases. Um, In 2021, by the time it's over, we predict that it'll be closer to 13% increase. Mm. Um, So, you know, that's uh, outside of normal. (laughs) The, um, the, uh, but we do expect things to, um, you know, ease up a bit as we get, um, we do expect things to ease up a bit uh, over the year. And um, by the end, by the time we're through with next year, we'll be down to that normal level. But that will depend on, uh, so we are expecting prices um, for the 2022 to be about a little under 5% increase. But that will depend on the inventory issues. Um, you know, we've had a, a, a lot of underbuilding, I guess we could call it, um, in the housing market. And it just, it just hasn't really caught up. Um, right. especially with the um, extraordinary demand we've seen. Yeah. So, you yeah. know, probably another year before prices um, are completely calmed down. Yeah. And I imagine that's at the, you know, average kind of national level, I could see still some sectorial or composition effects happening throughout the country, different cities uh, growing and a little bit faster than others. Yeah. So very, very interesting uh, material. Molly, fantastic job. Thanks for coming on the show today. Yeah, thanks a lot, Ken. Great to be here. And you can find out more about uh, Molly uh, Bezel, who is, again, the principal economist and uh, at the Office of Chief Economist at CoreLogic, as well as CoreLogic, by simply going to their website, um, which is CoreLogic.com. I'm Ken Smethers, and you're listening to Your Money. This is Radio Sirius XM, uh, Channel 132. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 